afternoon, everyone. My name is Nicola Cetera. I'm a professor. And today I'm going to talk a little bit about the during the pandemics. Let me start with the. So let's consider this woman called Mary. And She COVID-19 outbreak. That this is going to reach uh, Western countries and North America, and that isolation measures will be in place also, also here. And so she thought, she thinks that services will be in high demand, so decides to buy stocks in a company that provides uh, such services, that's what we call in finance a long, having a long position. Two months on, so say the end of uh, January, uh, end of March, sorry, uh, the prices of these stocks are much higher and she decides to sell and realizes a significant financial gains. Now consider Hannah. Uh, she, she's, she's predicted uh, back in January that it of a company that produces uh, a very, again, comes the end of March, stock prices for these companies have been going up considerably. She decides to sell and makes a significant profit, a significant uh, capital gain. Let's finally consider Joseph's. He holds exactly the same beliefs as Hannah, the, the Out and there will be a high demand for products such as uh, hand sanitizers. But what he does, he decides to stockpile on hand sanitizer bottles or dispensers, fills his garage. Uh, then normal prices, prices. Out of, uh, out of these transactions. Now, in a sense, these are all expressions of what a capitalistic market society, market economy looks like, the self-regulating is such that demand and supply for stocks, for goods, uh, will meet and some parties, you know, exploit the opportunity, take advantage of the opportunity to make to make a profit. And this is, you know, the entrepreneurial forces uh, at play to look for new opportunities to, for example, provide resources to companies who are being more uh, in demand, more uh, contribute to the growth and prosperity of a, of a society. And yet I suspect that some people or even most people will have a different attitude, a different even moral judgment about these three uh, different uh, actions and these three ways of uh, explo uh, you know, you know, exploiting a, an opportunity for, uh, for profit. And in particular, I suspect that what Joseph did uh, with you know, hoarding uh, hand sanitizers and then selling them at high prices after having taken them out of stores uh, might you know, be received with some unease, at least from uh, some of you. 
And if you share these feelings, it turns out you're definitely not alone. Uh, there is a long tradition in the history of thought about the importance of defining some moral limits to market and about the importance that markets, economic activities rely on social support and the respect on some uh, higher order principles. We can go as back as the gospels uh, and in particular the story of Jesus uh, entering Jerusalem, going to the temple where traders, uh, money traders, uh, commodity traders are doing their activities, engaging in reasonably mutually beneficial uh, trades between them and their, and their customers. And yet Jesus is extremely upset, he, you know, uh, turned the tables uh, around and so on saying, you know, you are, uh, you're essentially blasphemous uh, by doing this in, uh, in the temple. Uh, but we can go to more recent, although not too recent times, we can think of Adam Smith, you know, who is well known as a philosopher of the invisible hand, so competition and the price mechanisms regulating markets and society. But before uh, thinking and talking about them in a previous book, The Theory of Moral Sentiments, effectively uh, justice, that are the real pillar of society and to which societies have to abide by. Uh, and that the moral pressure of social opinion to quote his worth is individual actions as well in the uh, institution of choices. Even the father of neoclassical economics at the end of the 19th century, Alfred Marshall, uh, expressed similar ideas about what he called the moral pressure of social opinion in directing and constraining uh, market activities. Uh, actually, it's his birthday today. Uh, made a fundamental distinction between things or actions that have a price, so they're marketable, and those things that have dignity instead, so we cannot assign uh, a monetary value uh, to them. Sociology Emil Durkheim as well stressed the social dimension of morality, how you know, abiding by certain moral values of a higher order, you know, hold societies uh, together. And in more recent years, uh, perhaps one of the major contributions has been the one of uh, the political theorist, um, Michael Sandel, who focused on the concept of economic justice, not just as being about distribution of uh, goods, services, and resources, but also about the value, including the non-monetary value that we assign to, this, uh, to these actions and these, uh, these resources. I'm going a little fast here, but if you're interested in more reference, line through our channels and I'd be happy to, uh, to provide you with, uh, with more preference. Within my disciplines, economics, the scholar that definitely has considered with more detail and attention the potential contrast between ethical values on the one hand and certain market activity, what is the recipient of the Economics uh, Nobel Prize in 2012, and they introduced the concept of repugnant transactions. So a repugnant transaction is a trade that benefits the parties directly involved who enter uh, willingly without creating any visible cost or what we might call negative externalities on, on other agents. But these are trades that third parties, or if you want, society disapprove of and often try to prohibit or regulate uh, very heavily based on moral grounds. 
And what are these moral grounds? What are these moral principles that certain societies or parts of societies might see as violated or endangered by allowing a particular market transactions? There could be an issue of coercion, of undue influence uh, versus certain parties in these transactions. Or maybe some parties are not really benefiting, uh, but they are exploited or taken advantage of by participating in a particular trade. Another concern is one of fairness or lack uh, thereof, where we can think of fairness as uh, related to the equal access to certain goods and services that perhaps are considered so essential that they should be available to everybody, for example, perspective of their ability to, to pay for them. But fairness may also refer to the distribution of the gains of, uh, from a particular uh, transaction, even if available to, uh, to everybody. And that more deeper level, there is a there is a sense in which certain actually corrupt uh, the dignity of us as humans and as uh, human uh, human societies. There are many examples uh, we can consider. Perhaps the one that you know people mention more often are cases where we put a price on the human body or body parts. Think about paying people to donate their blood their plasma, or even their organs. Think about commercial surrogacy or prostitutions. These activities are very often considered coercive, exploitative, and also corrupting of human dignity altogether. What is interesting is that many of these activities are actually praised uh, if they don't include a price, or at least they have a positive connotation. People who donate their plasma or blood are factors. People who donate their organs, say a kidney, uh, are considered heroes and you know sex without a price between you know consenting adults is in general considered a beautiful thing uh, not definitely something that corrupts uh, human uh, human dignity other example in history includes child labor uh, for example but even lending money for interest or certain types of uh, insurance contract uh, ethical concerns uh, apply to many uh, economic activities. And that's why uh, Alvin Roth, again, and then quoting him, uh, said, we need to understand better and engage more with the phenomenon of repugnant transactions. And as economy, we have to understand folk ideas, uh, common beliefs, common views uh, about what we can do in the market better than uh, Another interesting uh, case of repugnancy markets is not about a particular transaction, but the way that transaction occurs. And it has something to do, it has something to do with the pricing practices in a particular market. For flexible pricing, or the term price discrimination, which just means applying different prices different single number, single issue of that magazine is monthly without a subscription every single week. In an airplane, and maybe not these days, you might be sitting next to a person who essentially is sitting in the very, you know, very similar uh, seat, but the prices that you paid are considerably different. 
there is peak pricing in electricity uh, consumptions. There is flexible pricing in car riding services, Uber or Lyft, where demand is uh, higher in certain moments of the day or because of certain events, charge a little higher for, uh, for the rides. Just like there are secondhand markets, uh, for example, for, or ticket scalping, you can call them for events such as concerts or sport games uh, and so on and so forth. Now, here we're talking really about markets that are of ethical connotations, magazines, you know, airline, uh, air travel, uh, ticket for concerts and so on. But there are cases where the same practices, pricing, and so leaving the market operate in a sense, uh, receive a much, let me mention a few examples from Toronto, the city. In the was 2013, and a few years after, 2019, last year, there was a fire emergency uh, on, on one of the subway, subway lines in the city. And in both cases, uh, Uber and Lyft uh, in, incredibly increased their by, by a large amount uh, because of high demand, just like they were doing in many other circumstances. But the public outrage was significant uh, in, those, uh, in those cases because people were in need in that moment. And there was a sense that they were taking these companies were taking advantage of, of the situation. A couple of years ago, there was a shooting on Danforth Avenue again here in Toronto. Uh, two, uh, two young women lost their life and about a dozen other people were uh, injured. And uh, the community organized a charity concert in one of the local concert hall and the price of uh, the, the, the revenues the, uh, from uh, selling the tickets who were each would go uh, to uh, the people, the families uh, affected by, uh, by the shooting. Some people bought a lot of tickets and then they resold them uh, through second-hand websites, higher prices, up to $500. And again, if you look at the terms using, for example, in newspapers in those days for these actions, we see disgusting, immoral, predatory. So again, a practice and a particular market uh, that doesn't sort of pose any major moral concerns in a particular circumstance can become actually highly uh, morally contentious. And this brings us first uh, to uh, the scenarios I mentioned at the beginning of this uh, on this talk, and obviously uh, to the current uh, to the current pandemic, because even in this case we observe how otherwise perfectly acceptable markets, perfectly acceptable practices, be uh, very contentious. So as we know, the COVID outbreak led to a huge spike in the demand of certain products, hand sanitizers, wipes, face masks, also some much. Uh, high spike of demand led to uh, inevitably uh, a supply shortage. So demand was much higher than the available uh, supply at a certain point. And so there have been several accounts of people hoarding on these products and selling them at many times the what we might call the normal price uh, 
both online and offline. So wipes were going in some cases for more than $200, uh, for example. There was a vast public outrage almost everywhere in the world. And that led to several regulatory restrictions or legislative provisions. Uh, there are websites where you can report uh, uh, but there are also price caps have been uh, have been implemented. The shutting down of certain vendors or particular items, more than a million, it turns out, on e-commerce platforms, as well as outright public production or control over the production of, for example, sanitizers as a way to speed up uh, supply and reduce the imbalance uh, between demand and supply and keep the prices uh, the prices low. And the public outrage was really driven by moral concerns, moral outrage uh, altogether, especially for two main reasons. One, there was a sense that these vendors were taking advantage of scared, uncertain, frantic uh, consumers at the worst possible time. They were essentially taking away these goods from stores uh, and reselling them at much, uh, much higher prices. Many people were also concerned about the fairness of such actions and pricing practices in terms of unequal access of goods. Not everybody could afford at that point uh, wipes or masks or, or, or sanitizers. Unfairness in the sense of unequal distribution of gains. Uh, this was a way to transfer uh, essentially uh, gains toward profits and also an equal burden. It turns out that low skilled, low salary workers are the ones who are less able, less likely to be working from home, so in safer uh, conditions. So they're more in need of some protections and uh, hygiene products. And they are the ones who, because of uh, price hikes, might be less likely to be able uh, to buy uh, uh, and to use these uh, this, uh, this products. On the other hand, if you take a purely economic approach, and in fact, several economists colleagues are still embracing this view in this, uh, in this circumstance, the view is very different. There is a much more positive view of letting the market work its magic, including you know, uh, price hikes, at least in the short, in the short terms. Spikes in demand generate shortages. That's one of the arguments. And as such, this leads to rationing. So some people will not be able uh, to, uh, to buy those products because they will not be available. So who should have them? Uh, first come, first serve? Should there be any other rule? Who established uh, these, uh, these rules? And that's where prices without any regulation are for, uh, right? So without any explicit regulation, uh, prices solve the imbalance between demand and supply by reducing demand because of the high prices. And the high prices are such that those who value a particular good the most, and there's a, you know, the willingness to pay a higher price, we will. High prices also motivates more producers and sellers to make uh, these products available uh, to, uh, to the public. So there will be more uh, competition because of this higher incentive to produce. Income will then naturally push prices back down to the normal or, or competitive level. And there will be more products on, uh, on the market. It might also be that to produce more, 
uh, the units cost, the unit cost of productions go up. Uh, you need additional equipment, additional workers. You might use less efficient plants, and so on. And so higher prices just compensate for this higher cost. And also going back to the demand side, higher price are also a disciplining device for otherwise irrational or too anxious consumers who would go and buy too much of a product or stockpile on it. And so by you know, having higher prices, they might have to do that. And economists very often bring examples like um, rent controls or too high minimum wages are example of failures of regulation with rent controls leading to a lower supply of uh, apartment for rents or lower maintenance and therefore quality and minimum wages when they are too high uh, to, to increase unemployment, for example. And so in general, this view points out to some benefits of letting the market operate uh, freely even in, this, uh, in these circumstances. So uh, overall, we see you know, very different views and each of them, uh, you, know, you might see people uh, giving credit to. And so some of the proposals that have been advanced or even implemented have been trying to compensate uh, these trade-offs in a sense. So price caps, I mentioned earlier, uh, might be a way to avoid issues of exploitation or unfairness, but they lead to, to rationing. And so they, uh, they generate another, another problems. You can imagine to contain prices, to impose price caps and perhaps give a compensation or a subsidies to producers so they can have the extra profit needed to have the incentives to, uh, to produce more. This solve a fairness issue because prices are more affordable, but create another fairness issues. We are essentially transferring potentially public resources to private producers in the form of extra profits. You can also go all the way uh, to give grants to consumers uh, to, uh, to buy those products, those who can't afford them uh, otherwise. But again, this would be a transfer of resources to producers and an equal distribution of, uh, of the gains. In some places, uh, for example, local governors have uh, uh, introduced public production or the seizing of certain factories to convert productions towards certain goods. Uh, but again, how feasible is this? Uh, how efficient, how slow, or how fast will public produce? Who's going to pay for it? Are we going to pay in the in in taxes or something like that? So, uh, where is the gain? You know, overall, what I wanted to point uh, to with the, with this consideration is that the consideration of repugnance and so of the moral concerns toward market is not free. It implies trade-offs, and this is probably the greatest lessons that Alvin Roth with his work on uh, repugnance left us with. Uh, and so there are conflicts between different values that we need to somehow uh, balance. And both from a scholarly and the policy point of view, but also from the point of view of constituencies, consumers, citizens, it's important to really consider all these values and also to consider that repugnance or moral concerns are a combination of different values. And so another crucial aspect here is understanding what value or what values are particularly salient in a particular situation. Are we, are we caring especially about exploitation of consumers? Are we caring about fairness in terms of access or in terms of distribution of gains? 
And what is more important is gonna drive a particular institutional, uh, institutional response. And this is why understanding precisely uh, what we care about, what values we care about as a society will lead uh, uh, to different decisions. And this is also why for many of these transactions from regulation of prices during a crisis, but also those other transactions, paying for plasma, paying for blood, commercial surrogacy, and so on, we see different countries, different uh, jurisdictions having different legislations. And so on, because there are different trade-offs, different complex trade-offs to, uh, to, uh, to solve here. What is important, however, is that uh, and this is a point I care about, is that in a situation like the current one, mutual trust and coordination among organizations, public authorities is of paramount uh, importance. And it is hard to believe that you can achieve this level of coordination, for example, in complying with social isolation rules and social distances without the social support a wide social support for certain private actions and institutional choices. And so that's why we really need to consider these concerns and dilemmas, uh, moral and social dilemmas, in depth to find solutions that maintain this trust and cohesion that is always important, but it is particularly relevant uh, in, this, uh, in these days. Let me close with a couple of notes. First, uh, if I had more time, which I don't, uh, I would address another transactions where repugnance uh, plays a major role and is particular relevance in this context. And this is the supply of blood plasma. As it turns out, the plasma from patients who recovered, fully recovered from COVID-19, is now considered for testing, for example, some therapies uh, for COVID, hyperimmune therapies, as well as serum uh, therapies. However, paying for plasma is illegal uh, in most countries around the world, including Canada, uh, for example, not in the US where it's legal, not in Germany where uh, it's, it's allowed, but in many other countries. However, one might argue that in order to incentivize uh, those who have recovered from COVID-19 to supply their own plasma, maybe paying them uh, because of the relevance of their plasma, uh, the value, uh, the social value of their plasma, paying them to incentivize to donate might actually be a good idea, a sort of a welfare improving uh, uh, idea, something that will create benefit for, uh, for society. So here we have another hard moral and institutional nut to crack. And again, if you're interested, I'm been, been happy to talk more uh, about that. Let me close up with a couple of uh, reading or viewing suggestions related to this. Uh, there is an Italian novel, it's actually one of the two Italian texts in the Western canon, it's called The Betrothed by Alessandro Manzoni. It's a historical novel taking place in uh, 17th century Milan and among many other things, Manzoni uh, described the protests because of price hikes uh, for bread in, uh, in Milan due to poor harvest, to, to a supply shortage, uh, essentially. And now the flip-flopping of public authorities between capping prices on the one hand and then leaving price free, leaving the market operating free, led to even more social, uh, social unrest. So it seems quite related. 
There is also a theatrical play by Eduardo De Filippo, an Italian playwright. It's called Napoli Millionaria. Sometimes in English it goes with street side story. It's more a play and there is also a movie. The play was recently uh, proposed at the Stratford Festival uh, last, uh, last summer. This is a play, a story about the moral and human price uh, that a family had to incur for engaging in essentially hoarding and selling products that were scarce during Second World War in Italy uh, uh, at very high prices. So engaging in black market activity, uh, essentially. And if I may, I would like to conclude with a final thought with my uh, late grandfather and namesake, because he used to own a small store in an Italian village he was selling many different things. And again, during World War II, he had the opportunity before of the access he had to take advantage of the scarcity of the shortages of many of the goods he would otherwise sell by increasing prices substantially. And he decided not to. Uh, he decided to take his own share of pain in that particular uh, contingency because of his own moral values, but also because he cared about the small society he, he was living he was living in. So I'll leave you with this thought and thank you so much uh, for listening. I hope you all stay safe and help.